Hello and welcome to Let's Do Video podcast number five. I have a very special guest here today, Simon Dudley from LifeSize. I'd like to thank LifeSize for paying this man to give great speeches which benefit the entire visual collaboration community. I'm not sure why they do that, but I appreciate it. The reason that we were here today is Simon just gave an award-winning speech at the MES show in, in Dallas, uh, which I've been listening to all day. And um, I'm very impressionable. So if I start talking in a horrible British accent, it's not on purpose. I'll try not to do it. It happens when I talk to Simon for too long. But anyway, after watching that, after watching that speech, I, I had a few questions and wanted to chat with Simon about it. Uh, first, I'd like to give a couple minutes of, oh, and before I start, just a quick housekeeping tip. Um, uh, uh, I'd like to thank um, Phoenix Audio Technologies. They're letting me try out their Spider speakerphone. A conference phone, which I'm actually using to record this, uh, and it's not even designed for this. So if the if if it's um, not even a fair test, but I think it's going to sound great. Um, now let's let's get into this let's get into this speech you gave. Uh, there was a lot that I really liked about it, but I, I do have a few questions. Uh, first, let me give what I took away, at least out of the first half of it, and maybe it's not what you intended me to take away. But um, the speed of business has long been t tied to the speed of travel. If I can get to you in a day, we could do business every day. If I can get to you once a week, we could do business every, every, every week. Now, sure, people talk about business on the phone, but they do business face-to-face. -face. So as long as we are limited in the speed of our travel, we're limited in the speed of how, how fast we do business. And we've reached our limit. Um, Tesla might make a faster car, but you're not, you're not going to be able to drive it any faster because we have speed limits on the road. Uh, we're not getting high-speed rail here for reasons I'm upset about but won't get into. Um, the planes aren't going to fly any faster. Back when the Jetsons promised us the future, they promised us desktop video and it's here, but uh, they also promised us flying cars and it's not here. So we're stuck. So how do we, how do we make it happen faster? And it's technology. It's video. This is our way to get face-to-face. -face. Is, is that, did I walk away correctly on that? I would say yes, but there's one other part to it. So everything you said is correct. Yeah, cars from 50 years ago did 60 miles an hour. Cars today do 60 miles an hour. They might do 90 miles an hour in Germany, but it doesn't seem to help their economy much. The, but the big issue is, is if us in the West are going to continue to be the engines of innovation in our society, in the global society as it is now, then we need to come up with new tools. Because what's happened is is that all the tools that the jet set used 50 years ago, and you and I and most people probably in business now fly far more than the jet set did 50 years ago, but all the advantages they had then, we all have now. And the next wave of people in the world who are getting rich in relative terms, they can all use this technology as well. So if we're going to keep ahead of our global competitors, we have to think differently. Because now cars and trains and aeroplanes are available to huge numbers, and I mean billions of people. And that is a big point from my point of view. So it's not just about keeping up, it's, it's about staying ahead. It's about having the advantage. Yes, yes, because tools available to me and you are now available to the the guys starting in China and the guys starting in India and the guys in much of Africa and they are using the same technology and as a result they're going to overtake us because they're hungrier than us they can they're prepared to live on less money than us they're probably going to out innovate us so if we in the west are going to stay ahead we need to come up with new tools the old tools 
the usefulness of them has gone away. There's no advantage anymore. It's become ubiquitous, which is great, but it's even the playing field, and we don't want an even playing field. We want an advantage. Well, we want an advantage, but what we shouldn't do is think of ourselves as what, what would be immoral and, and impossible to do anyway would be to say, you people, you can't have these new tools. That's not an acceptable position. I mean, that's effectively a colonialist-type position, and, and I'm not an advocate for that at all. But equally, if you don't reinvent yourself constantly to keep ahead of your competition, then you're going to lose to them. The difference is that instead of there being a relatively small Western European and, and American competition now, there's billions of people you're competing with. And therefore, to be different, you have to think differently. To do what you've always done will not get you what you've always had. It's funny. In some ways, I'm having thoughts in two different directions here. I love the idea of video conferencing being an advantage to help me stay ahead. But I've been fighting for video conferencing to be ubiquitous where everyone uses it. So I kind of, I kind of want to have my cake and eat it too here. I guess I want it to be ubiquitous, but I want to get there first. Absolutely. It's the same with all technology. I want everyone to have it, but ultimately, the people who adopt this technology first are the ones who get the biggest benefit from it. And and that's true for all of it. That's true for airplanes. It's true for... I mean, look at uh, Britain in the 18, in 1850 was 1.5% of the world's population and 50% of the world's GDP. Because they had the, the Industrial Revolution there first... They got a massive benefit. Now, what's interesting is that your average British worker didn't become madly wealthy. A very tiny elite became madly wealthy. And the same was true in the American Industrial Revolution that kind of was kicked off as a result of the British one. Now, it's much more democratized than it's ever been. I know we talk about um, the, the wage stagnation and we talk about a very polarized society. But actually, by historical standards, it's very unpolarized relative to to previous eras, and that technology helps all those things. So I'm a huge fan of that. Now, now here's my problem, and it, it's funny. I, I agree with everything you said, but I'm still having a problem, and, and I can't quite make the connection. My, my problem is, is I've gotten over the whole video conferencing in relation to travel bit. In my mind, it, that was the old way of thinking was, oh, my budget allowed for 10 cross-country trips over the year. And if I use video conferencing, I do five cross-country trips, and I save my budget. And, and that's not really the reality. The reality is we still have to travel. You travel to give that speech. And, and, and during the speech itself, you explain why you traveled. You want to shake hands with the people that, next week I'm going to an event for AVISPL. If I could go by video conferencing, I wouldn't, because they're going to have some of their new toys to try, and I want to put my hands on them. And there's going to be free food, and we all love the free food. So in my mind, it's not about replacing travel. It's about upgrading phone calls. Because like I said before, phone calls, we talk about business. Face-to-face, -face, we close business. So how am I agreeing with you and disagreeing with you at the same time? How can it be about travel and not be about travel? Because it's not really about travel, right? Travel, it, so you're kind of right. Uh, it's an interesting point, and I, and I think you've really, you've hit the nail on the head without kind of realizing it. So the real power of video is not travel replacement, right? I did a, a webinar recently with Dr. Um, Dr. Ann about this very subject, and it was entitled The Real ROI of Video Conferencing, and she opened her mouth and said, uh, there is no ROI of video conferencing, you shouldn't bother. And, and basically, 
that was the end of the webinar. It wasn't quite. We spoke for another 40 minutes. But, um, but there's much more to it. The real power of video is not to replace those meetings, not to do travel replacement, but to speed up business. Now, if you think about it, we've talked about this before, okay? You to me, the next time that you and I probably actually get a physically meet, I suspect will be Enterprise Connect. Well, when's April? Uh, yeah, it, uh, first, second quarter next year, March, April. First, second quarter next year. Maybe there's another. Maybe we both go. Maybe we both end up at CES. So first week of January. Well, we're recording this at the end of October of fourteen. So am I going to wait ten weeks to see you? And don't get me wrong, David. I enjoy working with you. We get on great. I'm not flying to come and see you to do to have this conversation. Could we have had this conversation over the phone? Yeah, perhaps. But we don't have the human connection that we do by video. And so the real power of this, and this is this is you know an analyst journalist talking to a, talking to a, a marketing guy, right? This is we're not closing a million dollars worth of business. But the real power of video, I would say. It's not just the, oh, well, I saved all that time in, in tra you know, ignoring travel costs. It's not even about the cost of or the time it took me to travel to you, right? It would take me a good few hours to get to you if I flew from my home in Austin, Texas. And so if that were the case, you go, right, well, you've saved time and your time is worth X amount of money an hour. I don't know what my time is worth to the company. Uh, from the amount of revenue that I'd be responsible for, thousands of dollars an hour. They don't pay me thousands of dollars an hour, but I'm responsible for that. So if that's the case, then I've saved thousands of, but that's not the real, that's not the real advantage either. The real advantage is that we can have the meeting now, not in a week or two weeks or six weeks from now. And as a result, we can move our business forward. The whole, the whole process of our business moves forward quicker than it would have done. And video is about having meetings to allow people to communicate and to have that human connection without having, not just the travel cost, not just the time of travel, but the fundamental bit of moves the whole business forward at a pace quicker than it could have moved before. Exactly, that's my exact thought. It's, it's not taking that $2,000 trip and turning it into a, you know, a, a Penny's video conferencing session, it's the meeting that wouldn't have happened, or at least the meeting that yeah, would look, this month. Absolutely. And the other advantage is, and I talked in Wired magazine about this recently, it talks about the difference between yes and yes. Now, in our own history, Life Size, when we started, we worked with an outsourced Indian company, and they had a bunch of engineers in Bangalore that we employed to build us the ISDN adapter for, for Life Size. And we had a, a product guy work with them from Austin, and they, and they talked over the phone. And every week, he'd have a status update meeting with 10 guys on the telephone at the other end. English, perhaps, was the first language. These guys were bright buttons, right? They're not, you know, this isn't low-level folks. They're all master's degree in engineering. Um, but English wasn't their first language. And culturally, they had an issue that when someone asked them a thing, they would say the answer was yes. Now, it wasn't yes as in yes, no. It was yes, I've heard you. And so what happened was we did this two-year project, and our engineer, because this was before we invented video conferencing, 
And we did this two-year project, and we sent our engineers over to pick up the product, pick it up, right? We're not talking about a, but they did this way too late, but they went to pick up the product. They didn't even have any boards back. There was nothing there. And when they turn around to them and say, well, what, what, what's all this? And they're like, yeah, yeah, we hear you. But no, no, where is it? And they, and they didn't understand our engineers and their engineers had talked across each other for two years. Now, did life size screw up that, that bit of our engineering and did we scrabble and sort it out? Yes, we did, right? And we fixed it. But it lost us a year. It lost us a year in the market of having an ISDN adapter. And that's just a small example. And that happens all the time. So if we had had, and I'm using us as our own guinea pig, but as an example, if we had an ISDN adapter in the market a year earlier than we actually did, how much more business could we have done in our early days? This is 10-year-old news now, so perhaps irrelevant at this point. But we probably would have done, I don't know, multiple millions more revenues in our early days as a result of that. That's the power of video. And, and the difference between yes and yes can be seen over video. Can't be, you can't tell over a phone call. Yes, says one of the engineers in the room. Well, who? You can't even tell which one told you. But if it's on video and everyone's looking a bit worried, you'll know to dig deeper. So partly it was an education of engineering teams that you need to actually understand what they really, do they really mean yes, no, or yes, I hear you. And secondly, video clears that sort of thing up massively. Yeah. And you think about how much, just, just weeks, every, every part of a cycle of a project, you can save a bit of time, a day here, a day there, a week, a month. You get to market six months or three months before your competition does. Let's say you're in the, in the iPhone, or you're in the cell phone business, you're in the smartphone business, and you can get a, a, your new Android device out six months before your competition does. How much money or money are you going to make? It's enormous. I don't remember the statistic off the top of my head, but I'm always shocked when I come across it of the percentage of information that's communicated non-verbally. It's, it's more than the information is communicated verbally. It's over 50, isn't it? You probably know this one. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is over 50%. I mean, it, it's a, it's a, frankly, I think it's a random number because I've seen any number between 55% and 90%. And I have to say, I think it is entirely dependent on context. If you're talking, if you're talking about an engineering thing and you've got the schematics at both ends, for example, uh, Verbal or non-verbal is probably down near the 50%, only half of the communication. But if it's a emotionally charged environment about trying to get people to commit to a number, for example, as in how much are you going to do next quarter, then I think that could be up in the, in the 80s to 90%. Uh, the lowest number I've ever seen is 55%. And, and it's definitely real because the example you gave, if you tell me that David, this project you said you do for me needs to be done by the end of November. And I say, yes. That means, yes, I heard you that it needs to be done the end of November. But if I say, yes, that means it will be done the end of November. Same yeah. words. Anyone anyway, can tell by the look in your eyes. A little bit of NLP, a bit of neuro-linguistic programming. If you look up and to the right, if you look away from me when you answer the question, it means you don't really believe it. Mm. I can't do that on the telephone. Yeah, do you ever see, um, it's, you see this a lot with politicians, and, and they say, um, you know, do you think your policies will, will help the people? And they say, yes, absolutely. 
right? They're shaking oh, yeah. their head, but they're saying yes. You know what that means. Yeah, the, the body language. I mean, politicians are surprisingly poor at, at masking their own body language. It's actually a very hard thing to do. Uh, you, you have to be an extraordinarily good liar or a sociopath, and I don't mean that in a derogatory term, I mean that in a true medical term, where, where you, your emotions are hidden. But then people, even if, they, even if, one, if the part of their emotion is, or what they say in their emotion are different, people often can't tell that they're lying, but they can tell you that it feels creepy. You know, it's, this might be a little bit off topic, but it's, it's so funny and it's so relevant to what you just said. I read an article recently uh, about a man who uh, was sentenced to jail for whatever crime. And he faked being crazy because he thought it'd be better to be in, in the mental institution than to be in jail. And he did such a good job, they took him out of the jail and they put him in the mental institution. And as soon as he walks in, he realizes this was a mistake. As, as bad as the jail was, this was worse. So he explained to his doctor that I was lying. I was lying. You know, just like Cuckoo's, near the cuckoo's nest, right? I mean, I, I was lying. I wanted to be in here rather than there. So um, I lied. And they said, anybody who can lie that well and is so manipulative, that's a classic signs of, of being a, a, a sociopath. And they kept <laughs> him in there. Yeah. Because he was so... Yeah, a, the, phrase, the phrase for this is called cognit cognizant dissonance. And that's when somebody's body language and what they say are different. And you can't necessarily, most people are not very good at picking up what the difference is, but they do know that it makes them feel weird. And so when you leave the meeting and someone said, oh, I'm definitely going to do that number, or I'm definitely going to hit this production target or get that article written, you go away and go, I'm going to mark them down as a 50% likely to do it. And in business, that stuff matters a lot. And, and to tie it back into this discussion, most of that is all picked up visually. It's, it's hard yeah. to pick up that, that, is he lying, is he telling the truth on, on the phone? It's just, it's just a voice. Uh, but the body language, looking to the right, the shaking the head, even if you're not good at it, even if you're not trained at it, like you said, you feel a little uncomfortable. Something feels off. And you walk away from the meeting and you know not to take it at, I was going to say face value, but at voice value. But you're right, it, it, it is that. Uh, there was a, someone once said of um, one of the old French presidents, he was a fantastically good liar. And they said, if you can fake sincerity, you've got it made. And you can really only be sincere in person. It, it, no one really has that. It doesn't have any depth to it with only audio. Um, to move on, the, the other slight uh, quibble I have with you on, on this presentation. Um, and I think I, I might be pushing and I might be taking your statement out of context just to try to create a little bit of a disagreement here. Uh, but you were talking about for video conferencing to be, and I guess in the context of a replacement for travel, it has to be indistinguishable. It has to really feel like I'm face-to-face -face talking with you. Um, but for, for my dream of video conferencing as being an upgrade for the telephone, it doesn't have to be that at all. Uh, I've, I've managed to switch my mother um, to video conferencing. She's in New Jersey. I'm in Florida. The last time I was with her, I took her iPhone away from her, and I went into the contact list, and I went into her favorites, which I know she goes favorites and David to call me. And I switched it so when she presses David, instead of doing a voice call, it does FaceTime. Since then, that was a year and a half ago, she only calls me on video because the barrier wasn't looking exactly like you know, face-to-face, -face, mimicking a, 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 an in-person experience, the barrier was ease of use. 
it was one click to make a phone call and three clicks to make a video call. And that's what mattered to her. Now, it's one yeah. click to make a video and three clicks to make a phone call. And I'm on video with her every day. Um, so I, I'm being a little unfair. I'll give you a chance to respond. I know you didn't exactly mean that it has to be face-to-face, -face, as good as in-person, to make video conferencing work. Well, no. I, I, but what it does need to be is above a certain light, a level. It needs to be... Whether it needs to be for every user so good that it's like looking through a window is perhaps open to some debate, and I would accept that. And, of course, we, LifeSize, believes that strongly because if we didn't agree with that, we wouldn't make iPhone, iPad, Android, PC, and Mac clients if we didn't think that video works in those environments. So I think, firstly, I would argue that they are a powerful adjunct to the real power of video, which is typically uh, the clerk's, Arthur C. Clarke's third law, any uh, sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. I think it needs to be above a certain level. But that level, and I think I say that in that presentation, that level is entirely subjective. And so for your mother and you, as an example, the quality and experience is good enough that you can accept that. But for other people, it isn't. And, and the, what's interesting and what makes video conferencing fascinating as a technology is all the human factors stuff and the fact that there is no one quality in which you can say definitive, this is good enough, that is not. It is entirely dependent on a whole bunch of factors. So it's very interesting that I speak to my mother in the UK every Sunday morning and Typically, I have a, a room-based video conferencing system at my end, and she has one at her end. And she presses a button, and there I am every Sunday morning, and we chat. And recently, I've been doing it, I accept, on a low-quality internet connection from my house, and the quality of the experience is poorer. And it suffered. The, rela the, not the relationship hasn't suffered, but the, the quality of the core experience has suffered. Now, it could be that I'm picky or that my mum's more picky or that we look for different things. So I would argue it's a continuum, and there is no one quality in which you can say 720p at 30 frames a second with the people as big as they would be in the room succeeds, and this thing, and that doesn't. It's entirely down to the individual. And so I think it depends on numerous things. What I would argue is that what too many people have done in the past Start with something like a desktop device, like I'm on now, which I think produces your, your quality. Your call looks great from here. And the, this call looks fantastic. But then what they do is try and put six people on that couch behind me, and they all try and talk, and the quality of the experience drops to the floor. And then it falls away because people don't see the benefit. Where in my experience, what happens is that people start with room-based video and then go, this is great, and then expand to mobile and desktop users. And it's rarer that they start with desktop and mobile users and expand up to meeting rooms. But equally, it doesn't mean that there's a non-valid st story. It's a bit like, I would argue, it's a bit like Netflix. Netflix is available on pretty much any platform now. If I'm watching a, a, an issue, a copy of The Family Guy, I'll probably watch it on the iPhone, right? You know, let's be honest, it's a cartoon. It isn't really much about the visuals. Um, it's lightweight. I'm not concentrating too hard on it. The iPhone is fine. But if I want to watch the latest Bond movie or the latest Superman, 
don't really want to watch that on the iPhone or the iPad. I want a better quality experience. It needs to be sharper. The audio needs to be better to get the full experience. Now, I'm not suggesting everyone's meeting room environment uh, or that every meeting they have is like a uh, Spider-Man movie. But equally, there is a sense that if you've got a lot of people at one end, a lot of people at yours. When I say a lot, that means two, three, four, five, six at each end. Then the room solution makes so much better an experience that 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 you really need it. Now that, as I said before, that doesn't mean that there's one answer because there isn't, and I'm very pleased about that because if there was, we'd just say buy that and be done, and you wouldn't need me anymore. Well, we don't want that, but it, yeah, it seems <laughs> like there's there's two sliding scale factors. One being the person's preference. Some people just, you know, it, it, the face is too small. I can't look at them. I just don't want to do this. I want to get on my desktop. And some people are very happy to, to have the small video. And there's the context of the meeting. If I just want to chat with you about, oh, you're going to write an article for, for Let's Do Video. We do a podcast together. Oh, sure. We could do that on, on you know, um, yeah, we might even be able to do that on the phone. Although at this point, I'm such a video bigot that I really don't, I, I almost hardly do audio only calls. Um, but if I'm, I'm sure when you know life size and Logitech are, are doing big business, it's got to be you know when you, when we're talking about the million dollar deals now, um, no now we got to go into a room system. It's got to be high quality. It's got to be as close to in person as possible. Yeah, yeah. If you want to do a true meeting room, if I'm going to go and negotiate a million dollar deal, right? I would physically go, and then the next step down from physically go is high-quality video. I wouldn't think of doing that on the iPhone. But there is certainly, there's two senses here, things to think about. The first one is quality is a one-way street up to a point. And I'll give you a couple of examples. When you were young, you probably listened to AM radio, right until the point for music, right until the point where you had FM. But very few people ever listened to an AM radio and went, oh, no, the quality of the experience on the AM radio is simply intolerable. And I will not listen to the music until it's available in a better quality format. No one ever said that. Right? They listened to the quality of the, of the material, VHS tapes. The day you got a Blu-ray, uh, sorry, a DVD, you basically looked at your VHS player and went, ah, it's useless. But... Until then, you never looked at your VHS collection of friends or whatever else you had and went, oh, no, that's intolerable and I can't watch it. So as, a, as a Brit, when I first came to America and saw NTSC television, NTSC TV is intolerably awful to a British audience because we're used to PAL. And PAL is a far higher quality experience than NTSC. I mean, you never even, my father used to joke that NTSC stands for it's never the same color twice because all the colors and hues and, and the resolution. But if you wanted to watch baseball or any sport, NTSC was better because higher frame rate. But what was interesting is so above a certain level, then convenience is more useful than quality. So as another example, let's use Netflix again. Netflix will stream you a movie instantaneously to your television. We all know how it works. You don't have to go to the store to go and buy one or rent one. But Blu-ray is a far better quality of experience. But you know what? I'm going to watch that Bond movie on Netflix because it's good enough. Yeah. Is it as good? Is it as rich as the anti as the uh, Blu-ray? Certainly not. You, In fact, I got one of the Bond movies. So I use it as an example. Um, I think it's Casino Royale the new one, and you put that on a Blu-ray, and it's stunning. 
But the point was, was that the, the version on Netflix was free and it's there. I don't have to go to the store to get it. So I think the quality up to a level is important, but then convenience overtakes. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and, and back into our industry, I can do 720p on my desktop all day or, or you know, use one of the loaner systems I have out in, in the office at 1080p. If I happen to get a million-dollar deal, yes, I'll go in there and hook it up, but it's really so much easier. I'm at my desktop. The difference between 720 and 1080, convenience trumps that any day of the week for me and for my use. I, I, I agree. I can't tell the difference. It's funny. We introduced 720p60 and 1080p30 on our endpoints about four years ago. We were the first player to do it. And we showed it, Casey King, our CTO, demonstrated 720p60 over an internet connection. And we were all in Germany at a big partner conference, about 200 people in the room. And he showed 720 by spinning a ball on his finger and just chatting and gesticulating. And he got a standing ovation. And, I've, and believe me, that's a pretty hard crowd to please. Because these people have been in video since Noah was a boy. I mean, they've done it forever. Standing up, actually, it was fantastic. Really well received. And then he said, right, now I'm going to show you 1080, 30. And they all settled down. Oh, this is going to be exciting. And we rebooted the system into 1080p, 30 mode. And he showed it. And everyone went, is that it? And I don't know what the percentage is, but it's something like 95% of the endpoints in the market today that we, we've sold are running at 720.60 rather than at 1080p30. Now, of course, we can do 1080.60 if you really choose to, and it's amazing, but very, very few, and, and I guess I've been doing this a long time, I can't tell the difference in almost all cases Unless this between is the two. very, very large, I can't tell the, tell the difference. I agree. But that being I said, I appreciate your engineers for developing 1080p because I've noticed that uh, it's like if you have a Porsche, it could do 180, and you might never do 180. You're only going to drive it at 60 on the um, on the highway. But wow, does it do 60 nice? You know, if if the machine can do 180, that means it could do 720p in its sleep without using all the power, sure. without pushing the system, and without having issues. So by by pushing it even farther than we need it, I think they got the technology to a point where. It could, it could do what we need in its sleep. I don't disagree. The other re reality is is that we use, as does much of the industry now, they're beginning to, you know, they, they follow our lead. We've always innovated in this market. Is that we use the same sorts of processes that the set-top boxes have used for encoding and decoding a video. As a result, you kind of get 1080p because people want it for their home theater systems as a byproduct. So we probably wouldn't, if we'd had to develop it, we wouldn't have bothered with 1080p. In fact, I remember now when we when we started LifeSize, and, and it's 11 years officially in next week that I've been with LifeSize, so and more than that in reality, we found out that, our, uh, that we could build a machine around 720p30 now, or we could, and this was 10 years ago now, or we could have to wait almost a year to get 1080 and we, uh, we looked at it, and there was a big engineering conversation. About 20 engineers were asked to vote on it. And our CTO set up a demo showing 720p30 versus 1080p30. And all these video engineers looked at it and went, 
There's so little difference. We'll do 720-30 now. It was a better, it was the right compromise too. Yeah, absolutely. At the time, we were only 10 times the quality of the next nearest system. We felt a 10x advantage was now was better than a 20x advantage in six months. And I think we were proven right. And, and I was proven wrong. That is, that is I, I, you know, happy to admit when I'm wrong. One of the big mistakes in, in my uh, career as an, uh, as an analyst is when LiveSize first came out with uh, high-definition video conferencing. I said, what is going on here? That's not why people aren't using video conferencing. It's because it's too hard. It's because it doesn't connect. It's because it, because the 3 o'clock meeting starts at 3.17. Fix that stuff. Don't give me this high-def stuff. And then I sat in on a couple calls and I said, oh, okay. And then I saw the reaction of the market and I said, oh, okay. Looks like David doesn't know everything. Time for me to be quiet and learn a little bit. It, it, well, but you were also, to, to be fair to you, you were also right on the other stuff. But uh, it's, it, you know, in the, uh, in the late 90s, I worked for a company that did, um, that did bridging services um, very briefly. It wasn't a happy time. Uh, and what was interesting was not my happy place, that job. But anyway, uh, and I did this job for a little while, and it was interesting that people would blame the quality. Well, no, they would blame reliability of a video conference call, even though we could prove that like 96% of video conference calls started on time. But people would say, oh, it's just, I don't want to use it because it's unreliable. But it wasn't unreliable. They just hated the experience so badly, they just didn't want to use it. And they used unreliability. Remember, that was in the old, good old days of ICD, or bad old days of ICDN. And they used unreliability as, a, as an excuse. Because no one could turn around to their boss and say, I don't like it because the quality is terrible. So, shut up, the company's invested all this money in this stuff, you'll use it. And um, they didn't like it. So once we got over that barrier, then we, we could go and work on others. And of course, Lots of things, firewall traversal, IP, uh, the, the general convergence of standards has all helped reliability to the point where I think it's extraordinarily reliable these days. Probably more so than most people's cell phones. You know, speaking of, of reliability, that kind of ties into, I, I put out an article this morning on LifeSize's um, press release from, from last Friday on uh, your new uh, ROI tools new portal. Um, I think that um, this is going to be a trend in the industry. Uh, we're seeing it with, with um, you know, other people in the field already. Um, and I think a lot of it has to do with, with the fact that we've arrived. It works. It works all the time now. You don't have to worry about it working to the point where, hey, you can see the diagnostics yourself. We're going to push them down to the user, and you can see exactly how many calls you've had, exactly which systems are being used. Because, uh, well, first of all, we know it's a great tool for you as a customer to, to know your ROI. And second of all, because we have nothing to hide anymore. It work, it's been working for years now. Um, do you have any, um, a little off topic, but anything you'd like to add on, on that recent announcement? Or, or I mean, I think it speaks for itself. That It's funny. Cloud has, from our point of view, our, our SaaS model, it's just revolutionized the business. It's revolutionized the product for us. It's revolutionized our relationship with our suppliers. You know, ignoring how successful it's being in the market, it's changed the way that we do business. I mean, it truly has. But my phone was unplugged. A colleague of mine unplugged my phone for a I didn't even notice. He did it for a laugh because I always go on about, oh, no, no one ever rings me. He just took the cable out the back of my Cisco phone on my desk. No one's rung me. And I didn't even notice. And I think that it's, 
you know, the way that things like guest accounts, for example, the way that we can just invite someone to to a call and they just turn up. Uh, it, it's remarkable. I mean, we had our own infrastructure internally and it was okay, but it was still that problem that we couldn't get out. I couldn't ring you because you were outside of my firewall. And I had to think about all this stuff. And I, you know, in theory, I meant to know what I'm talking about here. And I would go, oh, it's too hard. I'll ring you on the phone. And think about if we were in the widget business or in the finance business or in the we wouldn't go, oh, how does video conferencing work again? We wouldn't do that. We'd just simply not bother with it. And as a result, it's changed the way that this has changed the way people do their business. And, and a lot of it, in my mind, has to do with, with workflow. With cloud services like LifeSize Cloud, um, it's, it's, it's like the phone. I send an invite. I don't send invite instructions. With, with old school video conferencing, I would send invite instructions. This is how you're going to connect. I don't want that. Here's the number or, or the URL. Click it, you're in. Sure, sure. I, just, I mean, you just told me your number today. I just dialed you. And, and, you know, you're talking about, you talked about the 3 o'clock meeting starting at 3.17. If I'm sending instructions, we'll be lucky if it starts at 3.17 because I look at 2.59 and 58 seconds. Oh, that's right. I've got to ring David now. Oh, that's right. I've got to download a piece of code and I've got to do this login. And, uh, and, oh, I can't be bothered. I just ring you on the phone. I can't, David, I'm away from my desk. I ring you on the phone. And, and it's just easier. Yeah, it, it, even as recent as two or three years ago, um, I would make a point of if I was invited somewhere in video, trying to join five minutes early to make sure it happened. I don't do that anymore. If, if when my nah. calendar says "Ding, join the meeting," it's three thirty. I join the meeting. Yeah, I agree. Well, um, so I, I think we covered all the topics I wanted to, to cover today. Uh, I would advise uh, anyone listening to please, uh, if you. Probably the best way, I, it's up on my site at Let's Do Video. Please go to letsdovideo.com, read my article about LifeSize Cloud's new service. I put Simon's uh, video award-winning presentation right at the top, so you can find it there. Uh, otherwise, if you go to YouTube and search for Simon Dudley, you can find it that way as well. It's only 20 minutes, and it's, it's very entertaining. I would, advise, um, I would advise giving it a listen. Thank you, David. And I, I would just add, if, you want, if people are interested in some of my pontifications, then... Uh, follow me on Twitter at Simon Dudley. That would be great. Oh, yes, and please follow me on Twitter also at Let's Do Video. So thank you very much, uh, Simon. This was incredibly short notice, uh, and you're in the process of moving. I see boxes and whatnot behind you, so I know you have a lot going on, and I really appreciate the time. Mate, I'm happy to do it. That was fine. Thank you. Great. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening.